Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. At Greenlight Guru, the biggest thing we care about is the biggest thing you care about, improving the quality of life with medical devices built with less risk. We know we're not physically there helping you to build devices, but our software is. So why wouldn't we build our software to be aligned with industry standards like ISO 1345 or 14971? We're the only medical device QMS solution provider to be named by G2 as a category leader for 13 quarters in a row. Because it's an odd number, I can't do the math and tell you how many years, but what does that mean? It means medical device companies who are out there making a difference believe we're making a difference and they're telling people about it. If you're looking to make a difference by getting quality, life-saving devices to market on an average three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols. I'm the host of today's episode. In today's episode, we got to speak with Brittany McKeever in this Meet a Guru episode. If you've been following the podcast very long, you know, sometimes we bring on a medical device guru and just to introduce, you know, who she is, what she does he or she, depending on the case. In today's episode, we get to speak with Brittany McKeever. Brittany McKeever is a medical device guru at Greenlight Guru. Our medical device gurus are part of what we call the guru edge here at Greenlight Guru. And as a medical device guru, Brittany helps guide companies through the various quality and regulatory requirements and challenges that are unique to medtech companies and medical device professionals, such as quality management system implementation, for example. Brittany has a bachelor's degree in biological science and a master's degree in bioengineering from Clemson University. She is also an ISO 1345 lead auditor and has the experience to back up what she's talking about here. We're glad to have Brittany as a part of the Guru Edge, and we hope you enjoy this episode with Brittany McKeever. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we get to talk with Brittany McKeever. She is one of the medical device gurus at Greenlight Guru, and I'm, I'm super pumped to talk to you, Brittany. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing really good. It's Friday. Yeah. Happy Friday. I don't know what day it is of the week that you're listening, those of you listening, but it's Friday here and we're going to act like it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so Brittany, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience and and what you do now? You can break that up however you like. I asked you three okay. questions in one. So, Okay, cool. Well, I'll start with, I'm a graduate of Clemson University. So I did both undergrad and graduate there. So I did my graduate degree in uh, biomedical engineering. So or it's actually, the program is bioengineering at Clemson. And so focused on med device, did a thesis project on, on hernia mesh and really enjoyed that experience. And then from there, I worked for a medical device company as a quality engineer. And so I typically would manage complaints, wore lots of different hats there, but that was my primary focus. and. From there, I started working for a polymer contract manufacturing company. So I was the manufacturing slash project engineer for the extrusion department. So that's something I had didn't have much experience in before that position, but learned a lot about manufacturing, learned a lot about polymers, learned a lot about extrusion. And so that was really cool. And from there, I started working at Greenlight. So now I am a medical device guru and I am on the onboarding and implementation team. So I help customers onboard into Guru and 
uh, at Greenlight Guru and then implement their QMS in Greenlight. Very cool. Is it the I don't know why I'm latching onto this with my mind, but the extrusion of polymers. I I can I imagine extrusion of aluminum. What's um and then I think of injection molding for polymers. I don't know why, but what, what, yeah. <laughs> tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, our our company did a lot of different things, but one of them being extrusion, and and that was a big part of our business. And so we did flat die extrusion, which is something that's it's not typical. A lot of times it's blown film extrusion, but we did micro blown film extrusion for like like soft tubing and things like that. But we also did flat die extrusion, which is like sheets of plastic. Um, we did it for very specific use cases in the med device field, which is something that it's not often done for medical device. We we were clean room. A lot of times extrusion is not done in a clean room. So it was very cool. Very cool experience. So when you go back over your work history, I'm curious, is there any, what stands out as maybe the most traumatic point in your history? That's an extreme (laughs) word, but I'm just curious, is there anything where you really hit a wall and you're like, man, why am I having such a problem with this? Ah, man, I don't know. It was probably, I've, probably hit a couple walls. Like one of it was I hit a wall when I, before I even got into the med device sphere, like even knew about this, this side of, of the medical field, I was pre-med. So undergrad, I, I wanted to be a, in medicine. And then I started shadowing doctors and shadowing surgeries. And I was like, all this stuff that they use is really cool. Like, I want to learn more about that stuff. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to be <laughs> I don't necessarily want to be in the OR. Like I want to be working on some of this stuff. So that was one of the walls I hit and I totally pivoted and got into engineering. And then probably when I started my first job as a quality engineer, like I had learned about med device and, and um, the business. And I had learned about like the regulation and you have to have a quality system. But I think it was so eye-opening actually working in the industry first yeah. as a quality engineer. And then I don't think I knew what I was getting into when I was handling complaints for sure. Learned a whole lot though. Just, well, I want to talk about the complaints, but I'm curious. Yeah. So getting to shadow those uh, surgeries and seeing the doctors use those medical devices, do you feel like that helped at all? And w- any translation to when you finally became an actual like, well, a quality engineer or whatever role that, that might've been applicable to? Yeah, for sure. Like just knowing how surgeries go, just like the timing of things and how quickly things like doctors need things, um, understanding also the, the processing of bed device, like the cleaning aspect and sterilizing aspect of things like how med device, medical devices, surgical instrumentation gets from like the the processing, sterile processing text to the surgery. So understanding that sort of stuff was really, really helpful when it came to complaints, especially. You're giving me some ideas here. This is not at all what I intended to talk about when we get on today, (laughs) but I I actually think I'm going to go, I may go find some surgeries to get in on. I'm I know a few doctors I could reach out to, but you've got me curious about this. Like I've been in the OR um, at certain points, but it's all fuzzy memories now at this point. It's been long enough. And I, I, you know, this is something, I don't know how many engineers get to experience if you're not in product development or upstream marketing, you know what I mean? So that's really cool. Yeah, it was, it was super fun. Um, There's a couple I did. 
in the U.S., it's actually kind of hard to get into the OR room if you are not on staff <laughs> in yeah. the hospital. Um, so one of the things I did was I did a program where I got to go shadow doctors in other countries um, because they have they have less stringent restrictions on things. Um, so that was really cool too. I actually I went to Thailand and did that. No kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, got to see a lot of different surgeries I would have never gotten to see in the U.S. Someone was recently telling me about um, is is a med. Well, he's a I think he's a graduate at this point. He was shadowing a a surgeon who was uh, uh, doing a back surgery, taking out L four, and he handed the pliers to to my friend and said, "Go ahead, you know, take." take it out and just use those pliers to take it out. And I, just to see certain things like that, it's kind of blows my mind a little bit to, to, to oh think about that, but yeah. Yeah. I got to see all kinds of like brain surgeries, like things that you would, I would never be able to be in, in the U S got to see. So that was, that was really good. And I also got to see like how just the differences of the instruments that are used in different countries and how different countries use things. So it was a good experience. Very cool. Well, Sometime we're going to have to talk a little bit more yeah, about we'll that. Yeah, we'll have to so. talk more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the complaint handling part of your career. Tell me more about that. I um, I feel like people just sort of fall into that position. Is that accurate? I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I think that they're like, you know, I, I was looking at the quality side of things and quality engineer position. And I didn't, I don't think I knew, like, I, I mean, I didn't know much about complaints. and I didn't know, like, how important it was either. So definitely fell into that position. <laughs> what was your reaction when you first, well, tell us a little bit about the role first. Let's yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I, it was a small team of quality engineers and we had really at the time that I started, I was the main complaint handler. Like I, I had people that also reviewed some of the things I did. Um, people I worked with other, you know, cross cross-functionally that I worked with, but main person handling complaints. Um, so I got to see the whole process, which was cool. What yeah. are the difficulties in that role? Are, are there things that you look back and you think, man, I wish I had done it differently. And I'm going to ask one other thing. I'll let you stall for a second so you can think okay. about it. But one other stalling question I have here is if you were setting up that role, what are some things that, whether it's in the SOP or the quality management system or how you would structure it in the company, that complaint handling role and, and, and how complaints are handled in general by other staff, what is it, how would you set that up or what, what's the best practice in your mind? Yeah, it's definitely good to set up the role so that you are working cross-functionally because a lot of times I mean, one, one person can't do it all, right? Because you're going to need to, um, Talk, talks amongst other departments they'll they'll know more about different aspects they'd be an expert in, in different aspects of your the process that you go through to complete the investigation so definitely making sure to cross-functionally work um, with team members one of the things I wasn't prepared for was like the sheer volume of complaints sometimes like it's a lot to process and not to say that like, you know, the, the company is so bad and there's so many complaints, but it's just people have feedback. People have things that they, they wish it would, that your device would do, or they wish that it didn't do, or they might have opinions. So it's like, all you're, you're constantly processing that feedback from customers. 
And I imagine in your mind, you're categorizing each one as you, as it comes in, um, mm -hmm. you'd say, okay, this is like this one. So I'm going to tag it or however you handle that in some way. What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, you, you follow your procedure. There, there's, there's ways of, um, categorize, categorizing complaints. You always look at a complaint and try to determine whether it actually is a complaint or not. Um, so you can get all kinds of feedback from customers, but you're going to want to look back at the definition uh, that that you that you state that is the complaint in your procedure and and compare the actual feedback that you're getting and seeing if it's a complaint. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you speak to any of the regulations around the complaint handling process? Yeah. So, um, you know, FDA. It. It. I can't remember the actual section. I think it's like. I'm not sure, but um, I'll look complaint up. handling, complaint yeah. handling. Yeah, uh, it's it's a separate section. It, it talks about post-production complaint handling. Um, and there's certain there's certain things that you want to consider. You definitely want to make sure that you have a process for escalating complaints, especially reportable complaints. It talks a lot about how to, you know, actions you might take um, and making sure that you have those specific actions like, documented along the way. ISO is a little different. ISO 1345 is a little different where it has kind of a broader umbrella of customer feedback where it looks at, um, you know, even production um, and not necessarily just post-production feedback. So even feedback you might get during production. And so feedback being positive, negative, and how you actually process that feedback. Um, it has a separate section on complaints specifically, though. Yeah. Part 820.198 complaint 198. Files. I was going to say that, but I was like, oh, man, I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's, I mean, it is longer than some of the other sections that you'll come across in Part 820. So what what are some of the things that you think may, I know you work with a lot of customers now you are uh, mm -hmm. as a medical device guru and we could talk about what that is and what you do as a medical device guru. What are some things that you hear either challenges that they're facing when it comes to their complaint handling or just best practices? Yeah. Volume is a big one. Like yeah. I mentioned, it's just like, um, you want to stay on top of your complaints. I think even in FDA, it says that to make sure that you're closing them in a timely manner like that, you don't want to, you don't have complaints just lingering with no investigation or no actions taken. Um, so it's, that's important. I mean, complaint handling is a huge, a huge deal. Even if you're a small company, you're going to need somebody that's dedicated to just carrying, carrying those complaints um, through the process and no, larger companies have whole units that that handle complaints. So, uh, if you're even if you're a small company, it, it is going to be worth your while to um, have a dedicated um, group team members that are actually doing that. I think even in FDA, it it talks about that you have to have designated unit. You have to evaluate complaints by a formally designated unit. So, you can't just have everyone in the whole company working on a complaint, you need to have a unit that actually processes it. And then that unit can, can tag in other departments. And when we talk about um, complaint handling being done right or wrong, I mean, there's, there's reasons why it matters. I mean, um, I, I, just a mm -hmm. quick anecdote from my past, I can remember, I was never directly involved with complaint handling, but I remember one time where there was a situation where I think we decided it was not a severe thing. 
And later on after, during an audit, that was that one where we kind of turned it down. Um, it, it kind of resurfaced and, Mm -hmm. uh, the decision was called into question by the FDA. And so those are some things that, that you need to consider, I guess, um, to make sure that your justifications are, I don't know, um, having not done it myself, I'd lean on you as far as that goes, but some of the, the, I I just remember justifications were some of the, the things that were sticking points for us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So like any decision you're making, you're going to want to make sure that it's informed and that you have a rationale behind it and that that rationale is documented. Um, And that's the thing about complaints. You can, new pieces of information can surface all the time, um, but you're just going to want to show that you tried your best to get to a, to get the information number one. And that based on the information that you were able to gather that you made a sound decision. Um, it's hard because you, you want complaint handlers to be pretty decisive. You don't want to be like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So decisiveness is a good thing, but you also want to look at everything in it. And if it's not a time to make a decision, it's, it's a time to actually keep going down rabbit holes that you, you might find. Um, you have to make a decision to do that too. What are some, uh, well, what are all the different, um, streams that might, come into a company as far as those complaints go. Uh, can you kind of speak to that? I, I'm, I, I just throw a few off the top of my head. Like I'm assuming a website form um, mm-hmm. by email, you know, just somebody speaking to an employee, but what am I missing? Any, any others come to mind? Social media is a big one. Oh, um, So social media surveys of any kind. Another one is you could just like a device with a note in it could show up at your, at the company in a box and that's, that's a complaint. Uh, they're saying that they're, they're alleging a deficiency. So can you speak could, more to the social media? Yeah. So social media is a huge one. If somebody posts on your social media about an alleged complaint, like if, like, I don't know, like this product broke for me and, you know, you have to be able to process that feedback, get in touch with that person Interesting. and, and okay. learn more. What yeah, about, that could be on, um, that could be on your Facebook. That could be on any sort of social media, LinkedIn. And so that that speaks to the company's social media. What about employees who just maybe they're just posting, but they they are they work for that company? What about that? The uh, like a like a user of a device uh, no, on an theirs. Em- an employee of the manufacturer. Oh, an employee of the manufacturer. If they're alleging a complaint, they, I mean, it, it would be a complaint, especially if they've actually used the device. And so, yeah, it can be, it can be internal as well. Okay. Well, I guess I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I think I'm messing up at that presentation or whatever this question. So let's just say I, I work for, well, we'll use Greenlight Guru. Why not? Um, okay. <laughs> Greenlight Guru has their own LinkedIn presence. And yeah, I have that employee of Greenlight Guru. So if I just did a post and someone said, Hey, you work for Greenlight Guru. I don't really like this about your module, whatever. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. Would that would that qualify or what are the do you know if there are any requirements around that? Yeah. So that would qualify as um a date that the company was aware as part of, like if if you're a part of the company, that's when somebody reaches out to you, they are notifying the company of an alleged deficiency. So um at that point you want to make sure that your employees know what to do when they get that kind of information or that they don't like breeze over that information, you know, 
um, they really want to make sure that they know who that information needs to get to. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not it's almost like a backdoor complaint, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, some customers might not know that like some customers of med device companies might not know that if they just mention this, it it's categorized as a complaint and it's at least followed up on. Um, so they might be complaining about things they don't even know. <laughs> they don't even know that they are. Yeah. And when you, when you talk about the social media side, my mind just sort of goes to post-market surveillance too. I know they're not exactly the same, but how are those related as far as, um, I don't know, uh, proactively going out and looking for complaints or looking for I don't, negative negative feedback um, just that's in the field. Any thoughts regarding that? Yeah, thoughts are, you know, you need to be looking at your social media to see what kind of things your customers are saying about you and um, evaluating that against your procedures. Um, but on the post-market surveillance kind of string there, it's, it's a lot of... Um, you know, it goes into evaluating your QMS against customer requirements. So that's kind of the, the broad umbrella. So that's why you're going to want to look at that sort of information. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the easy ways that I would just throw out, you know, this is a little bit of an aside, I guess, but um, if someone was trying to proactively get some of that information, they could put, I just set up a Google alert just to be super basic, just Google mm. alert on your device or your company so that you're notified whenever someone out there says something that's searchable by Google anyway, that could be one, one suggestion mm -hmm. I would, I would have yeah. throw out, but yeah, that's a good suggestion. I'm not, I'm not sure if we did that. We never got any like that. One of the things that you don't want to happen is like your customer never not report the complaint to you, but they report it to the FDA <laughs> and then you yeah. kind of hear about it <laughs> through that way. It's good to also communicate to your customers how to how to give you feedback, <laughs> the best way to give you feedback. So it's another thing that happened to us one time. So it's not that's not that's not fun when you get a letter from the FDA that's saying that there's that there was a MDR reportable that we never knew about. <laughs> mm, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Well, at least you had. Well, I don't know. I don't know if plausible deniability is really real, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and then the other thing that's interesting about that is like servicing requests and making sure that your your service technicians or, or reps are able to determine when something is like a how do I use this or how do I service this um, versus this broke or this is not working as it's intended to work. So, mm, yeah, that's a good point. So. Let's talk a little bit, if we fast forward into your career, if we talk about just the overarching thought of meeting the guru today, um, I, I love that our medical device gurus have such a varying uh, background and varying knowledge. Your, your master's in bioengineering with the hernia mesh, what are some of the things you learned that might be helpful? I, I mean, you can plug Clemson. I mean, people might need to just go get a master's in biomedical engineering to really have the, <laughs> the, the thoughts there. But um, what are some things that you learned that you think, you know, man, it'd be helpful if people had this knowledge? Yeah, I learned a lot about the industry just in coursework, which is really helpful. Um, learned how to get a device to market, like in, in the US specifically. And so learned a lot about, you know, what a lot of our startup companies are going through, going through that. 
the other thing was just with with research, uh, you know, root cause analysis, a lot of investigation type of skills with that. So, so root cause analysis, the thing that I always go to is the fishbone diagram, Ishikawa. You know, I actually mm-hmm. called him Fishikawa. Fishikawa diagram. <laughs> that's the the. And, uh, and for each one of those legs using a five Y's, that was my typical go-to when I did mm-hmm. root cause, but I'm curious if you learned other, uh, or can you, can you expound a little bit more on, on the process? I would say I'm similar to you. So I did the fish bone <laughs> and then five Y's like that was our typical one. Um, then, you know, keeping records of that and, and making sure that your thought process is documented so that if there are any questions that you have that to fall back on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, I remember one time in my career when we just could not figure out one of these problems that we were facing. So we got, um, is it meatpacking paper, you know, like the four foot wide roll, we put it across the entire, uh, conference room and just had a massive fishbone diagram in, uh, marker and just started going at it with sticky notes and everything. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Which is fun I mean, until you go to document it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun too, when you're like, you don't have all the information, but you need all the information, but you're, it's a complaint. So you're relying on, on your customer or that hospital to give you information. And then maybe you don't, you don't have it all. So you can't make those connections, you know, that, that comes into play a lot. And so you have to make your, make your best determination with the information you have. Yeah. So what are some of the things that, uh, well, any other advice that you have for companies or, or recommendations for new companies as they, whether it's approaching their complaint handling or just really anything in general that you would give them? Yeah, just making sure that you, you document your process and you have clear definitions around things, making sure that you investigate your complaints, justify maybe why you're not doing investigation versus when you are making sure you're following up on some of the actions you take to make sure that they're effective. That's a piece that oftentimes, especially in complaint handling, it gets missed. You just have Mm. so many complaints. It's hard to follow up on all of them. But if you need to retrain some people, making sure that the training that you did was effective, like that, you know, just closing that loop is super important. Documenting everything. And I think keeping your investigation kind of fluid, not not so rigid. You're going to want to have some you know, different ways of performing your investigation, just typical things that you would do, but investigations can get, there's so many things in an investigation that can come up. So just making sure that you stay flexible. So how does that investigation work when you, what you kind of mentioned that you, you're really only relying on the information that you've been given, I guess you could have correspondence more with that, the person who submitted the complaint, but how does that, what, what actually goes into that investigation? Yeah. So you're, you're, looking at what was reported to you from the complainant and then you are looking at your own documentation as well so you're looking at inspection records you're looking at purchasing records you're looking at um your dhf you're looking at your dhr you're looking at you're also inspecting if the device can come back you're inspecting the device that comes back so you might be doing some testing on that to determine what happened you might have to get a supplier involved. So the supplier might be investigating something on their side. So just depending on what the scope of the complaint is, you might have a lot of different and many investigations going on at the same time to kind of have a 
summary of, of what your, your findings might be. I really like that, that breakdown because, you know, sometimes we think from the development forward, that's what, that's the way my brain thinks a little bit, you know, being a product development engineer, you look through design controls, risk management, you develop these different things, and then you get a product to market. What you're talking and describing though is, so we have a product that has an issue. You better have your traceability from whether it's UDI or whatever it is to your DHR, Mm -hmm. to your DMR, to your DHF, to your risk management. That, I mean, the overarching word that came to mind when you were talking in my mind was traceability. Mm -hmm. You have to have traceability. (laughs) Traceability is so, so important. Even if you're not getting a lot of information from your from the complainant sometimes you can deduce just based on your records like if they say that they have purchased this part number well thank goodness we have purchasing records that say that they've only purchased this lot number okay so then i can take that and run with it i can go look at records for the manufacturing of that lot and see if anything happened so even if you're not getting a lot of information from your complainant you can lean on your own records too yeah we happen to have a pretty good software system for maintaining traceability. So just throwing that out there. Yeah, just throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Greenlight grew. Man, sometimes when I look back at the manufacturing engineer, I remember going, first of all, I went to the cabinets where I was looking at the DHR. Then I would say, okay, it's not here. It must be older than this. So I'd have to go to dot control to get the key to the vault. I don't know if you guys had that where you actually walk into this room with more older records and then I'd mm-hmm. search through there and hopefully they didn't lock the door behind me. <laughs> that actually happened once. No, don't yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. But anyway, yeah, all of the traceability that you know took it took almost a full day really to get a little bit of information that I needed when in I'm I'll just say it Greenlight Guru would have saved me, you know, full days of work mm-hmm. you know, on some of these things. But yeah. For sure, for sure. Especially especially if you're managing everything through through paper. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of searching for things that you don't, you don't necessarily know where and and how to search for them. If, if you don't have um, some, a solution. Yeah. SharePoint makes it easier and harder in some ways. I don't, I don't, I did not mean to start this rant. I'm sorry. I, I've <laughs> gone down this road because I was thinking about that. I was like, well, I was like, is it easier or harder with SharePoint? Because I remember sometimes people would put something in one folder, but not another folder where I thought it should be. I'm like, oh, it's not there. But you could search the whole thing, but that was anyway. I'll stop. I, mean, <laughs> I just go yeah, when you're having through, to look yeah. at in several different areas, like I mentioned, you're like looking at purchasing records, you're looking at inspection records, you're looking at all these different things, and it's it's hard if you don't know like exactly where things are. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, you help. With, why don't we talk just a little bit about that? You you help people implement a quality management system now as a medical device guru. What are some of the things that maybe a piece of advice you would give as they're getting that set up so that they can you know, be quicker to, time to value? Yeah, yeah. My my quality engineer in me says, get a plan, <laughs> get a plan and document a plan. It's going to help you immensely. Not only just to like be able to refer back to the plan, but also to get team members on board with your plan to implement green light. My most successful teams get a quality plan or an implementation plan together to implement green light. That's good advice. I think we forget sometimes that we just think, oh, we're designing an awesome device, but this quality management system is just one of the regulations. But from a company perspective, 
a quality management system is almost a design project in and of itself. It is. It so is. And it's hard to talk about, but like it's, it's, you want to make sure that your quality management system is this like living, breathing thing, right? You, you want to plan for it. You want to make sure that you can maintain it. You want to make sure that you are thinking really strategically about your plan. I mean, your, your quality management system. That's why, um, you know, one of the things I talk about is when you're first starting out, it might be hard to get a quality manual together, right? Like you don't have all the pieces yet. Like you're doing more of the product development side and maybe you're doing a lot of documents and training at this point, but quality manual seems like so far off for a lot of teams. But I like to say, you know, if you're not in a position to do a quality manual yet, at least get a quality policy and quality objectives together. Like that is going to help you determine how the rest of your documentation goes in, in, in your quality system. What do you think would hold someone back from having a quality manual though? I'm just curious. It's an interesting subject, right? Because your quality manual is going to talk through all the procedures that you are going to have. It's going to talk about exclusions um, to your system. And so a lot of teams might not be there yet. And, and, I debate on whether you can have an incomplete quality manual and publish that, or you just have more of a working document um, as you're developing your quality system in in more of a phase-based approach, but um, at least getting together with your management representatives and talking through a quality policy and objectives um, and getting a a good vision for how you want to um, develop your quality system and also monitor and measure it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm sure there's no one size fits all for for that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. really making sure that it fits your company and and what you're trying to accomplish. So that's really cool. Any other thoughts, best practices or or pitfalls? I don't know. I like pitfalls personally, but um, for developing those quality management system, uh, just the approach. Yeah. So one of the things is when you're a new customer, you go through onboarding and implementation. And I always talk about um, onboarding is when you're learning the software. Like you have, you're working in a sandbox environment, you have your training wheels on, you, you're learning how the workflows work for you. Um, and it gives you a chance to practice and play around. And then when we get to implementation, it's working in a production environment. It's getting you set up for success as you develop your QMS. So one of the things when we talk about for onboarding is we have workshops and those workshops are like working sessions where you work with a guru and we talk about, you know, questions you have. We talk through best practices. Um, we help you with any roadblocks. Um, but the thing that that we always encourage and and the the most successful teams do this really well is give, doing your pre-work before coming to those workshops that way you have an idea and you've practiced a little bit you have an idea of the workflow you've practiced it maybe you maybe you hit a wall and you're like I don't know how to go any further that's okay we can get you through that it's when you have no frame of reference and you haven't played with the software yourself that those working sessions end up being a demo and that's not really what what the design is. It's more of us working through some of the issues that you had when you worked through it on your own. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
So as a medical device crew, I'm curious, um, what's one of your favorite things or have you been in it long enough yet to have a favorite thing that you like working with customers on or something that you've really enjoyed? Yeah. I mean, there's, I have a lot of favorite things. I should start breaking into song. Um, <laughs> um, these, are the first, favorite, be, they, yeah. these are a few of my favorite things. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Julie Andrews style, but um, I really like, um, I like helping people on their implementation plans. Um, I like helping people really strategically think about how they can um, set up their documents workspace to work for them. And I really like helping people get a framework for their project. I think those are the three kind of key things. Those are maybe that's like the project manager in me, but I really like helping people plan things out. So, yeah. You, what's the reason behind that? Do you think you get immediate gratification? You know, you're going to save people time or that's probably it. Or also like just helping them through the, I don't know. It's, it's like helping them through the thinking process. I don't know. It, it's like, I've been here. So um, let me help you get through that. And like uh, things I've seen with other customers, like, let me help you save time here. <laughs> yeah. Please don't make the same mistakes I made. That yes, was one that exactly. I always cared about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope uh, it's beneficial for those of you who are interested in meeting this guru, Brittany McKeever. Um, feel free to look her up on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I hope you don't mind me throwing that out there. I'll put That's your fine. LinkedIn in the show notes and yeah. people can reach out, ask any questions and uh, yeah, enjoyed it. I hope you all have a good rest of your day and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks, Etienne. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out to Brittany on LinkedIn and let her know. Also, I'd personally love to hear from you via email etienne.nichols at greenlight.guru or look me up on LinkedIn. You can learn all about what we do if you head over to www.greenlight.guru. We're the only medtech lifecycle excellence platform. And on top of that, we built a community where you can go to join the conversation or learn more about the things we discuss on the podcast. You can find those at community.greenlight.guru or by going to academy.greenlight.guru. Finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps others find us and it lets us know how we're doing. Thanks again. Take care. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering cost. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.